Okay, I'm just going to admit this up front. I mess up quite a bit, actually. For example, this interview that I did with Brian was recorded twice because I somehow messed up simply recording the interview and had to redo it twice. I'm also often pretty intensely annoyed with things from time to time. I get angry, sad, disappointed, disillusioned, and in many cases, I like to talk about these types of things. In my experience as a woman of color, people don't pull many punches with me, so I had been conditioned to feel like that's how the world worked until one day I stopped pulling punches, and then I found myself alone. (laughs) Alone because of my sarcasm, my honesty, my assertion, my sometimes harsh stating of the truth. I began to learn nuances to that, though. It started with different ways to tell the truth. But then, sometimes it can turn out that many of those nuances can lead you into delusions and sometimes even full-blown falsehoods. I'm talking about this because this episode is the reason that I wanted to start the podcast in the first place. I felt like we'd been pushed this narrative of positivity and making it a requirement for all people, and especially artists. For artists, what we do and who we are becomes our brand, and we've been told that nobody wants you if you're whining or complaining or upset or angry. Yeah, sure, the work can come from someplace dark, but for God's sakes, don't make it who you are. Because no one wants to hear anything less than positivity. And that's where I got the idea for this podcast. My core thought was that I wanted to give artists a safe platform to be legitimately tired of the bullshit and just wanted to express their take on it. When we work alone or primarily by ourselves, we don't have co-workers to team up with, much less an HR department to report to. We can't ask ourselves for a raise to make it worth it. We are constantly trying to work and rework what we are doing while also trying to stay in line with who we are. Brian Pena has been going through a transitional period in which he has recently let his audience see him in an entirely different light. And truthfully, that light is not the most flattering. But it has helped him join who he is on stage, in his music, with who he is inside. And I know that seems like a generic concept, but as we have gotten older, we have all figured out that more often than not, things are not what they seem. But Brian and many new artists are trying to create art and music that is perfectly in tune with exactly who they are. I'm Amanda Levy, and this is Artist Gripes. Um, so we're going to start off with how I reached out to you for the episode, and the reason I reached out to you was because I saw something on Facebook that was very contrary to what I knew you as on social media. Mm-hmm. Want to talk about that? Yeah. <laughs> Again. Um, <laughs> I had had, so it starts off with this year, I spent the most time I think I've ever really spent, just like really focusing and dedicating on being a musician and and being an artist and being known as both of those things um, synonymously. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I had these interactions with people that 
I, it just it gave me the vibe like something was missing like there was a disconnect happening between who I knew I was on the day to day and who I was being perceived as mm-hmm. but at first it's just anxiety so I was like I don't I, I can't prove any of this mm-hmm. and um, as I had more and more interactions uh, uh, with just like new people that I was meeting and stuff I started to wonder if I was just being anxious and I took a step back and I looked at the one thing that a lot of people kind of met and knew me through mm-hmm. uh, and that was my social media because um, there was especially like the last couple of years once I started actually like doing anything at all art wise um, uh, I met a lot of people through that and that's mm-hmm. how a lot of people kind of know me and understand me is through like Facebook and yeah that's and how Instagram. I know you mostly. yeah 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 it turns out we've been friends for two years yes, like, Wait, it is. <laughs> yeah we have been <laughs> so, yes we are actually friends through a mutual friend through Max Feinstein specifically yeah is how Love him. allegedly I believe that we met at least once but I just I'm not even sure we did to be honest I have no idea I have no idea but I know I know that we that our biggest strongest common thread was Max. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's good. Yeah. We must be good people. <laughs> Apparently, we do like each other. Brian yeah. is one of my favorite musicians in the scene. Oh. Um, but yeah, so I took a step back and I looked at all of my stuff that people had had known me through, and I was like, I don't think that this is none of this accurately represents what's happening in my brain and, and what's been happening, but. Um, it wasn't necessarily necessarily their fault that they had this perception of me as being someone who, I don't know, I guess like, like someone who just like did it for fun to an extent and that there wasn't uh, a certain uh, set of layers to the expression that I was doing and mm-hmm. uh, uh, a certain personal fulfillment out of it. Um, uh, some of this came through, like some of the idea that, that, there was this misperception came through um, when I had interactions with people um, I've been told by those people that uh, that A I was like a fuck boy <laughs> right or B um, B it was just like the way that there, there was one person in particular like the way they treated me it was as if I, I didn't have the nuances I knew I did and that's just putting it mildly mm-hmm. to put it more more like brutally like they were they were pretty dismissive Mm-hmm. of things that I understood to be like valid um, representations of who I am that were serious and uh, from there I realized okay well this is why I mean look at the way I look on this mm-hmm. um, and uh, versus the the material on my upcoming EP which is almost exclusively about pretty dark things mm-hmm. that, um, things that I've never actually implemented in my songwriting before either at least like done so publicly most of my songwriting before this ep is like kind of like fun mostly like that was like the aim was just high energy excitement thing and mm-hmm. just very performative but there wasn't much of a layer to it um message wise so um once i realized that i was like I, this is the disconnect that i've been perceiving the whole time and mm-hmm. so i made this post um just detailing that there is a suicidality there and it's never been totally comfortable for me to be like a hundred percent like overt mm-hmm. um and and to go into much detail especially online um but i wanted to, to say something because it's like there in my brain i've been struggling with this and i and, and continue to do so every day mm-hmm. um 
uh, and yet people really didn't think that that was there at all. No, I didn't. I didn't. And I know that I didn't. I was always like, oh, you know, he's a musician. Yeah, Yeah. he's pretty positive. Happy-go-lucky. Yeah. He randomly takes his shirt off on stage. And it's like... Yeah, I mean, Mm -mm. I don't know about that part. But I do know that I knew you as a musician. And I did know you as, like, somebody that was... In the community, very like light and lovey kind of, yeah. and I was like, okay. And there, there are tons of people like that. And sure. For most of them, for a lot of them, I'm like, all right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a gimmick, but that's okay. So, mm-hmm. I mean, especially when they're so nice. Um, but yeah, I would have never, I would have never thought. I didn't expect to see that post at all. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. It was real. The response (laughs) on it made it very clear. Yeah, because it was... uh, I had an outpouring that wasn't just surface level. It was a lot of people that were messaging me and a lot of people that were kind of surprised by it. And I'm like, they're surprised. Like, I've been, like, struggling with this since I was, like, 10. Mm -hmm. And the the, the suicidality was a factor probably since I was, like, 11. Yeah. Like, it's been around for a long, long time. And of course, as you grow, as you become an adult, I mean, you get more responsibilities, the pressure's there, and it just becomes more intense. Like, to think that these people had been seeing me and they hadn't been seeing this this part of me that's constantly there every day and then starting to exist in my lyrics and they couldn't see that either. Mm -hmm. That's where I think I had to draw the line because it was like, I'm actually expressing this and no one sees it. And it's very, like, I don't know how to put it. Like, if I was an artist that came fresh onto the scene with this as part of my image, mm-hmm. I think then at least people might understand that that layer is there when mm-hmm. I'm performing live and, and they'll hear the lyrics or they'll hear a certain way the song's being played. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just bothered me that there is a very real, very strong messaging going on that people um, literally don't see just because of the perception I put out there, mm-hmm. even though it is there. Yeah. So... You specifically talked about having this issue since, I mean, a lot of people have this um, later on in life, but I feel like 10 is a really early time to know about, or at least be aware of this kind of stuff, right? So do you think that you were hiding that really well, or do you think that you were just coping really well? I mean, or did you just not talk about it really? So that's why. When? Um, I mean, to the, to like, to fellow musicians. Like whenever you became, when you decided like, I'm going to become a musician, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to play, this is, you know, um, what my music is about. Um, What do you think that people were missing other than the fact that you were like smiling through it? I I mean, yeah, yeah, there's got to be something else, yes? Yeah, and so... I think it starts uh, with the with the community problem, where it's like, if you're a musician and you don't have much access quite yet to networks outside of your like three mile radius, let's mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. you're going to exist under this impression that you have to 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 play a certain way or mm-hmm. like express yourself a certain way, just so that people even pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, at least within like Newark and in Montclair, there wasn't, there isn't a strong like, you know, just singer songwriter scene necessarily. Mm-hmm. It exists, but it's not anywhere near as potent as it is in Jersey City, Hoboken, or in in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So being a solo performer, and as just somebody who just like loves being on stage, mm -hmm. I emphasized heavily on kind of like stage antics and like um, these kind of bolsterous songs that um, didn't have much meaning tethered to like my own struggles. Mm -hmm. Because in this area, people probably wouldn't even hear those lyrics anyways. Mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't really pay attention. And what options we do have as a singer-songwriter um, in like Newark, for example, they're like, um, they're not venues that are listening spaces. So even though I thought, I, I thought my lyrics were okay, they were never like deeply like entrenched in who I was emotionally. Okay. Um, but it kind of hit me when I had started to move a bit more eastward and I started seeing like singer songwriters um, doing a great job and I started seeing um, them spring about like artists like Danny May who writes like really strange and like theatrical um, uh, lyrics or um, uh, Rory DeLasno and like um, his like very emotional and potent lyrics and I just started seeing like oh like it's a matter of like tackling your own honesty and mm -hmm. like who you are as a person um and that's how you really get the most as a singer songwriter mm -hmm. um and so that's when i knew i had to marry the two and that's where pines comes in and that was a project that was a performance art like i didn't know what it was going to be at first but i knew that it had to be i wanted to do something very strange and i was still living within the context of like you know playing in loud bars that weren't gonna listen so I needed like to pop yeah. on stage really hard um and that was the first time when I started to mine my own like depression and suicidality for material mm -hmm. in some way shape or form and you did that at QXT's yeah I did that no I never did it at Q's I was planning to but it never worked out oh I, okay sorry. I did I did Pines at twice at Clash Bar in Clifton oh okay and then once once at Club Rock in Boone. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there I I had to, because it was like a, like, it was essentially just a play. Mm -hmm. I had to script something and I wanted it to be honest. So I had to constantly reflect on what it was I was saying. And mm -hmm. in particular, I had to care emotionally about it because I knew the whole thing I was doing was so subversive and weird. It was set up to be like, um, it was set up to, 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 to almost play on the idea of a three-song set, uh, set mm -hmm. um, and kind of mislead the audience into thinking that that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, all of a sudden there's narrative happening. And then there's, like, a little bit of props. And then there's, like, just, just me just being weird, <laughs> <laughs> essentially, and, like, kind of, like, purposely uh, weirding people out as I start to twist what it was that I was doing on stage, um, and it started to morph more into like a small play um, right before the audience's eyes. And in order for me to even pull that off while dealing with the awkwardness and like the pressure of like uh, that kind of subversion and, and the audience not knowing what's happening anymore, I had to really care about what it was I was saying. Mm -hmm. um, that came to a head at the Club Rock show in Bootin where people, I don't wanna say people, I can only say definitively one person 
uh, exclaim very loudly during the set how much they didn't want me to be doing this. Oh, no. Yeah, like, I was legit heckled. Oh. <laughs> and while they were the loudest person, I suspect that there was at least a few people in the audience that just straight up didn't want any part of what was happening. Oh, wow. Um, even though, and, and this is through some of the darker moments in Pines, like, mm-hmm. it, Pines was like uh, essentially like it was a play and there was some uh, some script some verbiage for me but like it was also uh, stamped by a series of like stunts Mm -hmm. and one of them was the microphone coil around the neck and then I would sing and it was obviously symbolic of like suicide Mm -hmm. but even as I was doing that the lady was like oh I'm so over you oh my god right and this is Jesus Christ and and it was very clear by what I was saying at that point that that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in order for me to persist through that, mm-hmm. I had to make sure that this was deeply entrenched in who I was emotionally mm-hmm. because there's no then I'm not pulling myself through it. Then I'm just going to break out of it. You know, I'm not going to give a shit or yeah. I'm not going to be as determined. Um, and that's when that's when it dawned on me that I had to be more honest in my songwriting because the music that I used for Pines, while it was my own, mm-hmm. it was just, it was just like hashed up songs that like didn't have to have to do with the subject matter that well. Okay. Because I'd never actually had to write about myself in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what came into, that's what, if, especially if you look at my Instagram, that's why it transitions from Pines into like, uh, a kind of dedicated this like singer songwriter aesthetic yeah uh, because then I realized like okay this is what I've been missing this is the thing that like has has uh, hasn't been around for me and why people almost don't even perceive me at least or didn't at the time as like a singer songwriter as much mm-hmm. as just like a performer um, because I wasn't able to marry the two in the music itself and I never had like a place to do that or a scene a proper scene that had the listening spaces so that when I wrote the lyrics or I wrote quieter music mm-hmm. people can actually hear what's happening and hear the depth and the nuance yeah um so I can't believe that lady did that um it was intense that is intense that's crazy um it's a good experience <laughs> everyone needs to get shit on like that Everyone needs it. So, yeah, what I wanted to talk about was, like, the transition in which your depression and your suicidal thoughts went from being, like, an obstacle Mm -hmm. for you um, and your work Mm -hmm. um, to being an actual tool. Because I do remember you being, like, definitively being, like, it's a tool. It helps now. Um Mm -hmm. But I can't remember. Do you remember the transition that you had specifically from when it was went from being like completely fucking unhelpful <laughs> to like I could fucking use this shit or something? I think it was like uh, so that particular time period was 2012 to 2013. Um, and in that time, it was certainly a huge crippling thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it became a tool up until, I want to say like 2015 when, um, I was crushed by someone who had said something to me, like someone that I cared about, um, that had said something to me that echoed back to like the way I was bullied a oh. lot. 
between like uh, throughout elementary school and, and high school as a smaller boy in particular. Um, it was someone that I cared about and we shared like a relationship that like definitely crossed and blurred the platonic romantic lines. Mm-hmm. And um, you, I had, it was just one of the situations where I, I was confused about what it was between us. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had admitted, and, and we had had this for like, I think six months. We were like heavy with basically just like hanging out with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and had all the, the, the tidings of like a proper relationship or so I thought at the time, like um, where we were hitting each other up every day. We were each other's like security and uh, we were heavy petting and making out. We never <laughs> like, we never uh, exceeded past that. Mm-hmm. Um, called each other soulmates. Oh, yeah, it was very heavy. It was, it was, yeah, it was very intense. And a lot of that was just based on how we both had these crazy mental illness breaks in that year at the same time. So we were like, um, we were very dependent or codependent on each other. Mm-hmm. And when it came down to be like, well, you know, what are we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she admitted that she, uh, she couldn't commit fully to me because, uh, I was just like, it was just like too skinny. Oh, right. And so that right then and there, it wow. harkened, yeah, it harkened back to all this stuff where, um, you know, growing up, I wasn't ever like that masculine as a boy to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, it definitely hurt at the time. Um, but it became, it started becoming like a source of motivation. Mm-hmm. So that's when I started like working out more for the first time. I was like overcompensating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, uh, and that, that working out gave me like a sort of like confidence to just try new things because Mm -hmm. that intrinsically was a new thing. I was reaching like a new weight that I'd never been at before. Mm -hmm. There was a perception of me that had never existed before, um, where at the time, and I didn't realize that at the time I was being looked at as like a, like a masculine, like straight dude. And, like, before it was never really like that. I think now, for the last three years, especially, people have had that kind of idea of me. But that's never been in my brain up until, like, 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, all, leading up all the way till then, I was just, like, this really teeny, kind of, like, effeminate, like, nerdy kid. Um, and uh, that's when the depression had twisted into a tool. But um, I still never... I didn't, I still didn't know myself very well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never fully explored all my traumas. That was just, like, the start of me realizing what traumas I had gone through. Oh, okay. I never really had, like, full confrontations with them emotionally like that because I just hadn't been through enough experiences to understand that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started using, I started going into poetry, and that's how I, that started happening, and that's when I started, like, adding a lot of people on Facebook, and that's when, like, the... <laughs> The perception of me kind of began, at least, in the scene as an artist. And then, uh, you know, I, I would slowly start to work that into, like, music again mm-hmm. and trying to do that. And even though it was, like, crippling and nervous, I remember in late 2015, I was at this, like, little cafe open mic. The, the cafe's not around anymore. It's called Mara's. And I was just nervous. <laughs> I was so nervous. But the only reason why I pushed myself to do it is because I pushed myself into exercising because I was so traumatized by that. Mm-hmm. Um... And only after Pines, which in and of itself had several traumatizing experiences, uh, including the the lady freaking out, um, including doing Pines at that 
venue when mm-hmm. that venue was way more singer-songwriter venue so it was like an inherent risk to my reputation oh okay doing that um being on stage and doing all this writing was constantly triggering me all the time mm-hmm. like i was constantly thinking about suicide um for the purposes of like storytelling Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I just had to be in a dark place all the time for like six months. And the thing is that for a lot of people, you know, they'll find respite in and picking up their phones. And, and, and in that time, they're not dealing with that. But because of the way I had weaved the social media into the narrative of the act, mm-hmm. that wasn't respite either. So when I picked up my phone, I would make some kind of instagram post yeah or facebook post that was directly a part of the storytelling so i almost never got to escape that side of me um and it just kind of reminded me how entwined um suicidality had always been depression Mm -hmm. had always been um but it it really became a i think now i use it more effectively than i've ever used it because it wasn't now I use it to, to tell perspectives and, and reflections as opposed to just straight up say you know that I'm depressed it, mm-hmm. it's used as a way to bounce off other themes and ideas about myself nowadays mm-hmm. which is I think much more nuanced than um, the 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 pines days where it was just straight up like here's a microphone cable isn't this obvious like, <laughs> like, you know what i'm saying like isn't this obvious yeah come on like oh it's blood capsule get it dying like uh <laughs> Now it's like it's it's just little decisions here and there musically, uh, little decisions here and there visually, um, and they're all used to create a, a greater tapestry of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think that now that you're harnessing this better, people are under understanding or receiving you or perceiving you more authentically as a person and an artist, or at least bridging the gap between the two? Or I feel like the, the yeah, like the. The gap is definitely bridged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uncomfortable because it's like, especially after that post, there were people who really didn't. Again, there were people who didn't uh, know that about me, and like I can kind of see it in their eyes now when I mm-hmm. say hi to them and stuff. <laughs> um, but is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, I don't. I've never seen it as a bad thing. I see it as as kind of strange, I guess, but only mm-hmm. for me because I've never, you know, I was never so out about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I say it as strange because it is strange to have to um, interact and network with people, um, but know simultaneously that you have so deeply entwined your public reputation out with this mm-hmm. because your music is going to be surrounding this. Yeah, that they're going to you know they're going to say hi to you and, and have these interactions with that in mind now. And yeah, that's just how it is. Um, I, I don't think that's been a hindrance at all. Like, no one's ever... I don't think anyone's ever been extra nice because of it or something like that. Okay. Um, but it is definitely, definitely weird to do it. It's it's weird to, like, network and go through the, the graceful motions and etiquette of, like, talking to people, knowing that they know that that's a part of who you are now. Mm-hmm. Does it feel better that there are... That who you are and like who you're putting yourself out to be as an artist are more intertwined or is there like is there a piece of you that's thinking about 
wanting to I don't know how private a person you are I mean I guess I technically know how private a person you are because you didn't really <laughs> fucking say anything until very recently yeah but um are you do you feel freed from secrets or do you are are you the kind of person that's going to be like oh, I just want some secrets I wish I had some secrets now and <laughs> I don't have any secrets or you probably do and you're not going to tell us so. <laughs> I feel, no, I feel freed. I feel pretty damn free. Okay. Um, because there was a strange pressure, and uh, I think my ex saw a lot of it because they were around and, and their day-to-day during Pines. There was a strange pressure that I had placed on myself to, to maintain um, the, the the civility that you saw, the, the mm-hmm. kind of like positivity that you saw, and I don't know where that came from mm-hmm. necessarily. And that pressure did a lot more damage than it helped, ultimately. Yeah. And I, ever since I was a kid, I always felt like there was a distance between me and other people anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was like, that didn't help that I would act like that, you know? Um, and it, it makes it makes the song... It's made the songwriting feel more like there's a ghost in the room. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, every musician, every artist has experienced that, where, like, they've either seen someone or been that performer where you're playing and, like... It's just it's like ethereal and magical and like something is happening through you mm-hmm. at this point now and there's just the silence to the room and the, there's a certain depth to what's happening when when you're playing and I, I think I've I've more more immediately and consistently achieved that once I was honest mm-hmm. uh, I had that at the pet shop show for a moment too where I played a song in particular called let me in it's just like it's blatantly about suicide. I never mm-hmm. actually say the word, but it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's when I had that experience, you know, every performer knows that silence. Mm-hmm. Every single one. It's the it's the greatest silence on the planet. Where it's like <laughs> it's so deep, it's so textured. You know, people are like waiting for what's happening next. You know, mm-hmm. people are paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know that um, they are listening for every little echo that you're pulling putting out there into the room. Um, and that only happened when I played this song. Um, that, well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. That it, it never happened so deeply until I played that song. Um, and uh following the post it happened more consistently it felt more like there was uh something i was channeling and less like i was playing mm-hmm. like it was something that a, a sort of mission that i was achieving while being on stage and that, and that's that's the thing that that became clear to me was that i am i i am a voice for people who have anxiety and who have self-esteem issues who who have gender dysphoria or or depressed or suicidal i i am the i i am what happens if you're just strong enough to to be all those things and and still express who you are anyway Mm -hmm. you know and i think i'd always been like that but since i never married the two no one really knew Mm-hmm. Um, and having since done that, the music's only gotten stronger as a result. The songwriting has gotten more potent, and I know that through like significant feedback from people who, who themselves are great performers and songwriters. So. Yeah. I think you just did the takeaway, so I think we're done. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, is it time for me now? I think it's getting to take me a little more. Oh my god! Oh my god! There it is. 
Thank you so much for listening to Artist Gripes. Thank you, Brian Pena, for the awesome interview. Brian is working on his EP, which will be dropping this summer, so stay on the lookout for it. As always, this podcast is a no-peaking production with pre-show and post-show written by me, Amanda, and the theme song was composed by Julian Gordon. Here's a small, additional shameless plug. No Peaking Theater has only nine more days of the Indiegogo campaign to bring a show to Los Angeles for the first time. So if you enjoyed this podcast or know who No Peaking is or just want to support small or local artists, donate to the campaign. The link is in the bio. Bye!